Hey there, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I am grateful for you and super glad you're joining me on this episode. The goal, the heart behind the Bible in Life podcast is to provide clear, straightforward, down-to-earth Bible teaching, Bible teaching that's really in the language of everyday life and set in the context of everyday life. And the goal is to help you and I follow Jesus right in the midst of our everyday life. It's what I call blue jeans theology. And so glad you're here. Glad you're joining me on this episode. And I just wanted to let you know right up front that this podcast, the listener's commentary, my other podcast, this entire online Bible teaching ministry is made possible by the generous support of people just like you, people who have been impacted by this ministry, who believe in the vision of this ministry, and who have stepped up and faithfully and generously donated to support this ministry. So if you're one of the ministry partners who have supported the Bible and Life podcast and the listener's commentary, let me just say thank you so much. Thanks a ton. Uh, you, through your generosity, together we are making an impact all around the world, and people are learning the scriptures and growing in their faith. So thank you. And if you want to join the team of supporters, there's a link down in the notes below where you can go to that, or you can just go to johnwhitaker.net slash give, and you can set up a monthly donation right there, or you can give a one-time donation as well. Also, I wanted to let you know that I like answering Bible questions. In fact, my, my adult daughter, married, has two kids of her own. Uh, she'll text me almost every morning or a couple times a week and just say, Dad, I was reading in and I've got Bible questions. And at some point during the day, uh, I'll give her a call and uh, she'll uh, ask me her questions and we'll talk through it together. And I, I enjoy that. enjoy that with my own daughter. I enjoy that with others. I love answering questions. So if you have Bible questions, feel free to email them to me at john at johnwhitaker.net. john at johnwhitaker.net. Email a question to me, and uh, I'll either answer your question uh, via email. Maybe I'll answer it on the next podcast. If I get enough questions, I might do a whole podcast that's just question and answer from you all. So if you're reading the scriptures and you're like, what does this mean? Or what is that about? Or why does he say that? Or, or if it's a theology question that you're just wondered about, feel free to shoot me an email and uh, I would love to uh, deal with and interact with your question, either here on the podcast or via email. So just want to let you know that. Now, over the last few weeks, we have been in a series focused on how to live a Jesus-centered life. And in this first handful of episodes of that series, we've really been focusing on kind of looking at various angles and aspects of what that even means. What does it mean to be Jesus-centered? And what are the various facets and components of that? And we've looked at a handful of really crucial things about uh, the goal of our life, the uh, the structure of our life, like uh, abiding in Jesus from John 15, just a variety of things. And before we look at what I want to talk about today, that's just another facet of that, I, I wanted to just uh, acknowledge honestly and I think importantly that none of us is going to live a perfectly Jesus-centered life. That what we're talking about over the last handful of episodes and what we're going to continue talking about for the next few weeks is the ideal. It's pointing us in the direction. 
It's helping us understand the things that we need to put in place that'll move us inch by inch and step by step, increasingly and progressively over time, closer and closer to more faithfully walking with and following Jesus. And so it points in the ideal direction. And what I don't want to have happen out of that is uh, any of us feel like, man, I just suck. I just am not living a Jesus-centered life. I don't want it to lead any of us to beat ourselves up if we compare ourselves to the ideal standard and we don't quite measure up. I I, I don't want these, uh, these episodes to really discourage us or demoralize us or make us feel like we're just not measuring up, we're not, we're not good enough. What I want them to do is I want them to draw us forward, pull us forward to say, okay, I'm going to take a step closer to that. I'm going to, I'm going to add this to my life or I'm going to eliminate this from my life. I'm going to rearrange my life in this way so that I take one step closer. And then over the, the course of the year, I'll take maybe another step co- closer. And what we need to remember is rearranging our life to live a Jesus-centered life is made possible by enabled by and really carried out within the entire environment, the circle of God's generous, kind-hearted grace. That we we pursue following Jesus and living a Jesus-centered life in what I like to think of as this realm, the circle of grace, as the Apostle Paul calls it in Romans chapter 5, we stand in grace. And I picture uh, this room that's just full of the generous, kind-hearted favor of God that looks on us and smiles on us with generosity and kind-heartedness. And so he's not, he's not shaking his head in like, oh man, I can't believe it. Right? Like, he's not looking at us with displeasure or disgust or disappointment. We stand in grace. So as we pursue living a Jesus-centered life, may we do it knowing that we are standing under and within and we're empowered and enabled by the kind-hearted grace of God. That, that both makes it possible um, by forgiving all our sins. It makes it possible by enabling life change and life transformation that the entire experience of being a disciple of Jesus is enabled by the grace of God. All right, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, Having reflected on some of the things we've talked about, it sets a pretty high standard, and none of us really consistently and completely measures up to that standard. Nevertheless, we should keep pursuing it, knowing that God has called us to this in Christ, and God is working with us by his Spirit and through his grace to make it possible so that we can be more and more and increasingly more Jesus-centered. All right. So with that, let's jump into the specific topic I wanted to talk about today regarding uh, living a Jesus-centered life. And that has to do with what drives us, what drives us in life. And we all have things that drive what we do. We want people to like us, and that can be a healthy drive. It could be an excessive Uh, unhealthy drive. We want to appear competent, right? We want to look like we're good at something or competent. So we don't want to look foolish. We don't want to look silly. We want to look competent at the things we do. And so maybe we'll avoid certain things because like, I'm not good at that and I don't want to look foolish. And we'll do other things where it's like, well, at least I know if I do that, I'm going to appear competent. 
we want to get maybe maybe it's we want to get ahead in life. Like we're, we're the choices we're making and the way we're approaching our life is we want to get ahead. Um, we want to be the best at. Maybe we just want to be happy and we're driven by that. We want like there's a fill in the blank. There's a lot of things that drive us in life. Uh, we want we want to get along with people. We want our kids to get along. We right. We we want to get married and have a family someday. We want to have an exciting career someday. We want to be able to travel and see the world. There's just a lot of things that drive the choices we make and what we do in life. And you can fill in the blank for yourself, right? What are some of the things you know about yourself that drive you in life? We all have those. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul gives us a powerful example of the ultimate thing that drives a Jesus-centered life, that the, the thing under which all the other drives are uh really subsumed. The things that all the other drives fall under this one overarching drive. And this one overarching drive is going to shape and influence, maybe uh, eliminate and remove, maybe add some other drives to the, th the things we do in life. And so let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and Paul's really compelling, powerful ex example of the driving force in life. In last week's uh, episode, we we talked about the goal of a Jesus-centered life, the goal a Jesus-centered person pursues, to live in deep, intimate union with Jesus, to know him. That's the goal. This week's, just to distinguish it and make it clear, this week's episode deals with the motivation that moves the Jesus-centered person, you or I, to pursue that goal. What What motivates what we do in life as a Jesus-centered person. Well, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says this, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. And in context, Paul has been describing his ministry. So we need to bear that in mind that Paul is really describing his ministry, but he's doing so as a way to offer himself as an example to the original readers, the Corinthians, and as an example to us. So he's been describing his ministry, and one of his goals has been to convince the Corinthians not to fall prey to uh, living for appearances, uh, and looking on appearances and thus being captivated by people who look impressive, sound impressive, right? And they're attractive and they're charismatic and, man, they can put on a big show. And not to be captivated uh, by looking on appearances, but to see the character and substance of a person's life and ministry. And in Paul's case, that means see the character and substance of Paul's ministry and his team's ministry. That's really what he's been describing his ministry for to the Corinthians. And they have been captivated by people who look good and sound good and are impressive and all of that. And as a result, they're beginning to view Paul with a certain me measure of suspicion and maybe like, ah, oh, he's not that impressive and all of that. 
So we just read verses 14 and 15, but at the end of verse 13, which is the lead-in to these verses that we want to focus on, at the end of verse 13, Paul puts it like this. He says, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart, who look on people's appearance, not in their character and the substance of their life. Then he begins verse 14 with four, meaning it is directly and logically connected to what he just said at the end of verse 13. We want you to have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart, for the love of Christ compels us. And so he's explaining what he means by not taking pride in appearance, but in heart. Here is the heart behind Paul's action, in other words. Here is the heart that drives Paul's life and ministry. The love of Christ controls us, he says. The love of Christ is the controlling motivation of Paul's life. It is the number one motivating factor for what he does and how he does it. He says the love of Christ controls us, it compels us, it drives us, it pushes us forward and shapes what we do and what we don't do and why we do it. Christ love drives us. That's what Paul says. Now, we need to make sure that we don't over-sentimentalize what Paul is saying. We, we don't hear this as warm fuzzies from Jesus' love make me do what I do. We want to make sure we don't hear it that way. Because both what follows what Paul says in this phrase, as well as what precedes what Paul says here, make it clear that it's much deeper and richer than that. In fact, in the preceding context, in verse 11, Paul says that because he knows the fear of the Lord, he persuades people and preaches and does what he does. It's because he knows the fear of the Lord. And that is explaining the preceding verse about standing before the judgment seat of Jesus. So I know I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus and be repaid in my body. We all are. And he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, I persuade people. In other words, Paul lives his life before God for God's approval. He's not looking for people's approval. He's not seeking to enhance his following or his reputation. He's not trying to line his own pockets. His aim, as verse 10 makes clear, is to please God. God is the one who will evaluate Paul's life. And God's assessment is the only one that really matters. This, this is the context for what Paul says about the love of Christ. This context indicates that the love of Christ includes this idea as well. So when we understand that the love of Christ the way Paul did, we see that to be driven by the love of Christ includes living in the fear of Christ, wanting only to please him, living for his honor, uh, living for his fame and his glory, living according to his way, regardless of what people think of us. And that means not living for ourselves. And so Paul goes on to say uh, this about being driven by the love of Christ. He says that the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, this is verse 14 again, that one died for all, therefore all died. That Christ's love is best summed up as his self-giving death. He died for all. He died for others in their place, for their benefit, on their behalf. And so Christ's love is best summed up and most perfectly seen in 
his self-sacrificial, self-giving death on behalf of others. And notice he says, one died for all. Because of love, Christ considered others more important than himself and laid down his life for them. Now, this is the same reason Paul came to Corinth in the first place and preached the gospel to them. It's the same reason Paul continues to care for them and to write to them and be concerned about their well-being and their maturity in Christ. It's the same reason he continues to stop by and visit them and to work with them and to help them grow. Christ died for them. So Paul imitates the love of Christ and lays down his life for them. And in Christ, all died. So Christ died for all and all died. In other words, they died to their old way of life. They died to their culture's values and goals. They died to themselves and their desires and their aims and their ambitions. They died to living for themselves. So look what he says then in verse 15. He says uh, that Christ died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, verse 15, so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but they would live for him who died and rose on their behalf. What was one of the goals of Jesus' death, according to verse 15? Well, one of the goals of Jesus' death was uh, that they would no longer live for themselves. Jesus died so that people would imitate his life and death, that they would no longer live for themselves, but they would live for him who died and rose on their behalf, that their life would be caught up with Jesus and they would be driven by uh, pleasing Jesus. What does Jesus want? What's going to honor Jesus? What's Jesus's way? And they would be motivated by and driven by the very same love that Jesus has for them that motivated Jesus to die on their behalf. When we're driven by Christ's love, our life is patterned after his death and resurrection. When the love of Christ takes charge of our life, we no longer live for ourselves. Instead, we lay down our lives for others. And we lay down our lives for Jesus and Jesus' sake on behalf of others. And that's the driving force of a Jesus-centered life. Uh, the ultimate motivating factor of a Jesus-centered life is this, the love of Christ, the self-sacrificial, self-giving love of Christ that calls us to pattern our lives after the same sort of way. When we have been so impacted and transformed by the gospel, then our life actually conforms to the gospel. We live a cross-shaped life. We live a gospel-shaped life. And as that begins to happen, all other motivating factors in our life, all other ambitions, drives, right? All the things that drive the choices we do become subordinate to the love of Christ and the pattern of the gospel. So that the choices we make with regard to our money, the choices we make with regard to our career path, the choices we make with regard to marriage and family and parenting, the choices we make for where we live and why we live there and how we interact with the people around us is all driven by the very self-sacrificial love of Jesus. That's the goal. That's the aim. Uh, that is the ultimate driving force of a Jesus-centered life. And I pray that that would be true of me and that that would be true of you, that we would become people who could say along with Paul, the love of Christ controls me. The love of Christ compels me and drives me forward in the things that I do and the way I do it in life. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. I pray you have a wonderful week in Christ 
that you walk with him, and that you continue to partner with him in everything you do so that the love of Christ truly does control your life. May God bless you. I look forward to talking to you again next week.